you know, we are um, we are in a, a study on on stress and and busyness and everything. This is what you asked for. This is what you said you wanted uh, more than anything else. And uh, we live in a, a stress filled world. I don't have to say that. In fact, uh, World News uh, Richard Trubeau said this. He said, "Death and taxes aren't the only sure thing anymore. Stress has become an inevitable part of our life for most uh, for most people." And something that we uh, that we see is there's a, a, a definite relationship between, we're, we're called this, we're called the most stressed out generation in history. And they say the next generation may be even uh, worse than, than the one we're in right now because there's a definite relationship between stress and progress, isn't there? If you don't believe me, go to a third world country. And that's something that even some of us were talking about this week. And we, we said, you know, there's times that, that we notice the pace of a lot of third world countries. And, and I have found myself envying a, a, a shepherd in, uh, in Kenya or a gardener in Guatemala because their pace is just so un, unstressful compared to ours. And I mean, they have obviously other stresses like, you know, uh, finding clean water and things like that. But as far as the pace of life, there's no, there's not even a comparison. And, and so, uh, and strange, you know, and, and so what is, what are we going to do about the stress? I think this is going to be hopefully a very, very practical message. And something we need to understand is not all stress is bad, is it? Or not all, at least uh, pressure is bad. Uh, the Olympics are going to be starting in a, in a few weeks. And have you ever noticed that, that almost every uh, world record happens at a, at a big stage? And even uh, most of them, many if not most of them, happen in the, on the Olympic stage. Why is that? It's because of the pressure of that big situation around with all the other people there that, that people uh, rise to the occasion. And pressure has some people uh, taking going to a level that they've never been able to, to go to before. In fact, most of the heroes in sports you take a look at, and you see the uh, the you know the the Michael Jordan and the and the Bradys and the and the Bradshaws and people like that, and you see that they rose to the occasion, uh, and that's why they became sports heroes. In fact, you think about heroes, and a lot of them it's it's the people that thrived under pressure that, that why we call them uh, why we call them heroes to, today. Uh, you know, there's how many? Of, let me ask you this question: How many would say that you uh, thrive under at least a, a little bit of pressure that you, you guys, many people in here, how many would say that you, you uh, really need almost a, a pressure situation for your creative juices to, uh, to flow? A lot of you there in that as well. You think about a guitar that we, you know, just playing up here in the, the, the chords happened, the beautiful sound that was taking place was because there was just enough pressure on every single one of the, uh, the chords that was there. That's what makes the beautiful, the, the beautiful sound is the pressure, a certain amount of, of tension. But here's the thing, that, that maybe pressure is okay, a certain amount actually can, can, can help us thrive. Uh, but anxiety and worry and fretting is never good. It's always bad. It always hurts us. It hurts us physically, doesn't it? I mean, there's a reason for, for ulcers and hypertension and high blood pressure and, and things like this. There's also, uh, it, it affects us emotionally in a, in a big way. It can affect us spiritually in a, in a big way as, as well. So what do we do about it? I mean, uh, what, what do we do with the pressure that we have? Because we live in a generation, we live in a culture that is a high-stress generation, a high-stress
stress culture. And first of all, the thing that we need to do is recognize we have limits. Uh, we all have, we have physical limits, we have emotional limits, we have spiritual limits. And go ahead and show that up there. Do you have the, uh, you know, you, you go by an 18-wheeler, you go by a big uh, a, a tractor tra- a trailer, and you go behind that, and this is what you're going to see. Uh, you, or this is a, a weight limit on, you know, on a bridge. You have, you have weight limits on a plane. You have weight limits in, uh, on boats, everything. Otherwise, the boat's going to sink. The, uh, the, the, the airplane is not going to get up in the air or it's going to crash and burn and, the, and the, uh, the semi is going to crash under the weight of that. And we have to realize that we do the same thing, that if we have a certain amount of pressure, we have a weight limit and say, we can't take anymore. And if we, if we try to do that, we're not going to enjoy life. We're not going to be able to fly. We're not going to be able to soar the way we, we, we would. We're not going to be able to do things as well as we, we could have done them. And, and the chances are physically, emotionally, after a while, we're going to crash under the pressure as uh, as as well. And, and even Jesus, we need to remember this, even Jesus had a weight limit, had a limit of what he said he could, could do. Think about this. Every night that Jesus went to bed, there was times, there were more things that he could have done. There were always more people that he could have healed. There's always more people he could have taught. There's always the disciples could have had more training. There were all people that needed more deliverance. There were people that needed to be uh, fed. There was always more to do. But there came a point every day in Jesus' life that he said, put a fork in it because we're done. Each one of us have a limit of what we can do in a day. We have a limit of what we can do in a week. We have a limit of what we can do in a, in a year. And I'm going to ask you to, to repeat some things after me today because I want you to hear them with your own ears because sometimes we may, may not believe them unless it comes from our own ears. But here's one thing that I want us to say. Repeat after me. My best requires rest. My best requires rest. Jesus gave his disciples and gives us a seminar on, uh, on resting one time that happened in, in Mark chapter 6. And listen to this situation. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and work your tail off. No, he didn't say that, did he? And get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Do you understand what was happening? Things were spinning out of control, and there was so much ministry that, that was taking place, and it was piranha time. Everybody was wanting a piece of Jesus. Everybody was wanting a piece of the disciples. Some of you can relate to that, where maybe moms, dads, somebody at work, whatever it is, that everybody wants a piece of you. Things are spinning out of control and everything, and Jesus didn't say, you know what, there is so much to do. There is so much need. We just need to buckle down, you guys. We need to buckle down and just work that much harder. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He said, guys, there's so much to do. We have got to get out of dodge for a little while. We've got to rest and we've got to take it easy for a little while because we're not going to be good to anybody else if we're not good in in ourselves. If we're not feeding ourselves, if we're not being refreshed, if we're not being restored, how in the world are we going to refresh? Are we going to restore anybody else? If we're so worn out, we're not going to be good to, uh, to, to anybody. And so Jesus was really saying, your best, guys, uh, requires... 
excuse me, requires rest. You know, I grew up in, in Colorado and we had a, a wood-burning stove and I love that. I miss that a lot. Not a stove, wood-burning uh, fireplace, real wood, not a, not a little gas thing that I turn on now. And I, I love that. But one thing I learned in an early age is, is you can put too much wood on the fire, can't you? Uh, and, and sometimes I have put, I have had so much wood on the fire that the fire went out. And what the fire doesn't need it that much, it doesn't need more wood, it needs more oxygen. It needs a time to breathe, it needs a time to, to rest, and that's what actually makes the fire go bigger, is more oxygen. Less wood, more oxygen. And sometimes in our life as well, uh, what we don't need is just more wood, more wood, more wood. Sometimes we need more oxygen, we need to take those breaks, we need to take the, uh, t- you know, just not be always work, work, work. And here's the thing, Jesus, don't miss this, God Almighty commands it. And that's take a Sabbath is the second thing. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night. It felt like God really woke me up and said he wants to point this out a lot. Because here's the problem. Uh, it's a commandment. Here's what God says in the, in the Ten Commandments. Um, you will have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. And he goes on. It's the longest one of the Ten Commandments. He talks more about that than he does about murder, adultery put together. I mean, he talks a lot about that and, and makes it clear that, that we are not to work one day a week, that we are supposed to take a 24-hour time, that we, are, that we are, are, are giving our body, that we are giving our mind, that we're giving our emotions, that we're giving our spirit uh, a rest. And, you know, it's, um, you think about this physically, we understand this because even I saw a study on farm animals the other day and said, if we give farm animals, uh, they work a whole lot more, they get a whole lot more accomplished in a lifetime if they're given one day a week uh, as a, as a break. Also, uh, Dr. Hager who's a Swiss doctor, he's a secular researcher, but he says this, we expend more oxygen in a day's work than we will ever recover in a night's rest. We need at least one day a week to restore oxygen. It's almost as if God knows, knew what he's doing, isn't it? That's even physically. And, uh, and remember, this is for our sake. God doesn't give us the Sabbath to, to make it. He gives it for us. He's saying, uh, he, you've been created that you can only do so much in a week. You've been created where you need uh, and where you need time off. And any one of us who are parents, we understand this. There are times that our kids Kids, they want to stay up forever and ever, ever and play and play and play and watch TV and do whatever it is they want to stay up. And we, in love for them, say, no, you're going to bed. Because we know that if they don't, they're going to be cranky. They're going to get sick. They're going to do this. And we know that as parents. And maybe the Sabbath is just God's way of saying, get to bed, right? I mean, take a break. And this is something I, that I try very much to do in my own life. Obviously, my, my Sabbath is not on a Sunday. Uh, they make me work on a Sunday. But I try to take it on a on a Friday, that, that's usually, that's my day off. I try to do that, and I try to very guard it, uh, because I know uh, first God commands it, and he does it for my, for my good. And something I thought of is, I went to, you know, I, I spent some Sabbaths with uh, some Jews in Jerusalem one time, and, and they do it right, y'all. And I mean, I want you to hear just, it is beautiful. What they do is they stop working on a, uh, on a Friday, on a Friday night, 
And I mean, they stop working. They don't, do a, they don't do a thing. They relax. Here's what they do. They go to synagogue on, on Saturday. They relax on that. They, they t- take spiritual time. And then they spend time with their family. A lot of times they'll go to a park and just relax, have a good time. They'll, invite, they'll have friends over. They'll have done the work the night before. They will eat together usually. They will usually have a glass or a bottle of wine together. And the, and the couples usually, they know that that's going to be a night of physical relations. Y'all, that's not a bad day, right? I mean, think about it. They've got it going on. They have, they have connected with God. They've connected with friends. They've connected with their spouse. They've connected with their family. And, and they have relaxed in the process. What's wrong with this picture? Why do we continue to make sure that, that some of us, we feel like we're doing something really great if we don't do what God's commanded us to do? It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. And I know a lot of us are thinking, but we'll never get everything done that we need to get done. I want to remind you that Jesus got more done in three years than any of us will get done in a lifetime, and he took a Sabbath. Now, occasionally he healed on a Sabbath and things, but he didn't work on a Sabbath on a regular, on a regular basis. And you think about, you know, companies like, like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby that are, that, you know, that, that, are spirit, that are Christian companies, that they do this as, a, as an organization. And think about it. These are companies that, that flourish, that, that, go, that, that do more in six days than most companies will ever do in seven days. And this is something that I believe, that, that I found out early in, in my, my Christianity, is God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100% with giving. I, I know that. As I tithe, I know that God can do more with 90% than 100%. And one thing I've found out as I've tried to do this in a practice and been very, tried to be very faithful in this, God can do more in six days than I can do in seven days. And he gives us a commandment to do that. Another thing, not only a weekly Sabbath, take a daily Sabbath. There's, every day we need downtime. We need time to, again, just not go, 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 go. And downtime to, to each one of us is different, isn't it? thought of maybe some of these. So some, some of us, downtime is curling up to a good book or, or watch a show on TV, uh, take a walk, exercise, play a game, do a good on social media, doing a fun activity with the family, listening to music. Engaging in a hobby, hanging out with friends, spending time with a pet, or just doing nothing. But here's what Jesus, the, the Bible says in, in Psalms 127. It is senseless. Hear that word. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. God is saying every week, get to bed. Saying every day, get to bed. And take Sabbaths throughout the day as well. This is something I learned in, uh, in college and in seminary that, that I, I realized that instead of just busting it for four hours at a time and just, you know, just not hunkering down, I, uh, if I took an, uh, worked for an hour and then took about a 15 minute break, worked for an hour, took about a 15 minute break, not only at the end of the day did I get more done, I was refreshed, I was relaxed, I enjoyed it away a lot more. Take the breaks even in the middle of the, uh, in the, the day as, as well. And here's a big thing. Take a, have a a daily quiet time. Have you ever wondered why Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus to betray him? Because it says in this, in Luke 22, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of of Olives. 
our, uh, our Savior had a quiet time, had an appointment with his Heavenly Father every day. And he would go there, and maybe that was the reason we never see Jesus totally stressed out. We never see him frazzled. We never see him frail. And I bet one big reason for that is because every day he went and spent some time giving all the stress and giving all the worry and everything to his Heavenly Father. I'll tell you again, this is a big thing that is a stress reliever for me, is that every time you know, opening up the Bible just about every day of my life, and, and especially reading the promises of God, reading the, the Psalms and just getting that and bathing in and, and it just has this way of just going just so much of the pressure so much of the stress as I remember who, who's in charge and it's not me Another th- and here's four R's to combat anxiety in your, in your quiet time, okay? When you have a, a quiet time. The first thing is read. Get into the Word of God. And, and devotionals are great, and, and there's great supplements and everything, but they're like vitamin tablets. Make sure you get the meal of God's Word. And if you've never done that before, may, again, with Billy Graham, what we saw a couple of weeks ago, start with the gospel. Start with the book of, of Luke, maybe, or just read straight through. If you read one chapter a day, just one chapter a day, five minutes a day, it's... Uh, you're going to be reading through the whole New Testament in, in one year. If you read four chapters a day, you'll read through the whole, uh, whole Bible in, uh, uh, in a year. But don't just read it for a, just a checklist. Be able to go, God, what do you want to tell me about yourself? What do you want me to t- tell me about life? What do you want to tell me about me? Open yourself up to God's word. The next one is, is request, which is pray. And hear these words. God says, do not be anxious about, listen to this word, anything, but in everything, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And here's what's going to happen if you do that. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How about this for a deal? God is saying this. You come to me, first of all, with your thanksgiving. Then you come to me with your request. You come to me with your anxiety, and you hand me your anxiety, and I will give you a peace that passes understanding as a result of that. I will flood your mind and your heart with peace. You give me your anxiety, and I will give you my peace. That's, you guys, that's, a, that's an incredible uh, handoff right there. But that's what he promises. So there's the request. There's also the release. He says this, cast all your anxiety. Don't miss that word, cast. There it is again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for, for you. And the word there, notice it's not anxieties, although we're supposed to do that. The little ones of, okay, this, this, this. But he's supposed to, it's like we put all the anxiety in one big thing and say, God, here it is. And the reason we can do that is because he says, because he cares for us. And also, n- n- understand this, he can handle it. Not only does he care for us, but he can handle it. The word, therefore, uh, for cast is this. Uh, it's epiprito, and it means, uh, epi means to, uh, upon, and, and hito means to throw. It literally means to throw upon, to cast upon. And I remember um, as I was growing up in Colorado for two summers, I worked at a Christian camp, and we would go on, on four-day horseback rides up in the mountains of Colorado. It was amazing. But we had a lot of uh, gear to pack in there. We'd have to do our tents. We'd have to do the cooking equipment and the tents to put those cooking equipment in and, and everything. And and so there was no way we could carry that up on a, on a, on a hard day's drive up in the mountains that about stopped about twelve or 13,000 feet. There's no way we could do that. It was too much for us. It was too much for us to carry. But we had pack horses that it was no problem for, that we could put all that burden, we could put all that weight on them. They were created to do that. They were designed to do that. We weren't. And how stupid would it have been for us to go, you know what, we're going to try the best we can. We're going we're to carry this weight that we were never meant to carry. We're going to try to make it to the top. And they 
they'd found us about halfway there, just, just uh, poured under with, with all the, the weight of, uh, and the exertion of trying to get it to the, the top. In the same way, how stupid is it that when God's saying, we can either keep the, the anxiety that we have in ourselves or we can hand it to our God. We were never meant to carry it. We were never meant to carry those weights, those strains, those, those, uh, those stresses. And God's saying, I can handle that. I've got shoulders big enough to, uh, to, to handle that. And here's the other thing I want you to, I want you to say. I want you to say, if I don't release it, he can't relieve it. If I don't release it, he can't relieve it. God is saying, he's saying, I want you to give these to me. He's giving us an invitation to say, I want you to give me your anxiety, your stress, your worry, your frustration, your, uh, all those things you fret and, and stress and strain over. And the, and the thing is, he is God enough, uh, he is big enough to, to carry that. But here's the other thing too. Give it to him and keep it there and keep giving it to him. Leave it in his hands because I, I know if your tendency is like mine, a lot of times it's to give it to him and then say something may not be working out the way we're hoping. Maybe things isn't, isn't going the way we thought or anything like that. And what do we have the tendency to do? To take it right back and carry that weight. Again, how stupid would it be when it, to, to see those, uh, the horses do it, taking it up the mountains and then go, you know what? I'll take it from here. We're at the 10,000 foot level. I'll take it from here. Again, it's crazy. But why do we take it back? We trust him. We release it. And if we can't, if we don't release it and keep it released, he can't, uh, he can't relieve it. Another thing is uh, remember this. Remember three things to remember. First, worrying never helps. It only hurts. And Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't, they don't sow or reap. They don't store away in barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who you by worrying can add a single hour to his or her life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the, the rest? And one more thing I want you to say, saying work, worry doesn't work. And has it ever helped? Has it ever helped one time in your life? Has it ever, has it ever made a positive difference, worrying? Of course, of course, concern about something helps, but worrying takes it to a completely different degree. And listen to this, uh, Donald Rumford, he cites a study that says this, he explains why we shouldn't worry, let worry rule our lives. He said, first of all, 60% of all of, all of our worries are totally unfounded. 20% of them are already behind us. 10% are so petty that they don't make any difference in our life and four to five percent of the remaining ten percent are real but we can't do anything about them so that means only five percent of the real concerns that we ever have in our life is something we can really do something uh, about and the second thing so not only does worrying never help it always hurts but the other thing is to remember his promises and in your bulletin we gave you a little handout that just a few scriptures and of hundreds that we could have used that maybe will will help you just look over these that help you or our worry free pills I guess you know and put it somewhere where you can see it put it maybe in your Bible put it where you where you, where you do your hair in the morning put it in your car or something where you're looking at this on a regular basis and just and just letting those the scripture pour into your heart and um, uh, and, and get into your get into your soul. Another thing is this: is remember that He's God, and you're not, right? And occasionally, I just have to stop and go. Uh, and here's what the Bible says: Psalm uh, Psalm forty six ten, uh, a life verse. Be still, 
and know that I'm God. Listen to this in some of the other versions. God says, be quiet and know that I'm God. How about this one? Cease striving and know that I'm God. The message uh, says it like this. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. And how about another one? Let, uh, let be and be still and know, recognize and understand that I am God. The word there for, uh, for, for let go is rafah, and it literally means, in, the, in Hebrew, it literally means to slacken. Have you ever had those times where you're in a car and for some reason you make a quick movement and the, the seat belt just grabs you and I mean just holds you there and you can't move, you can't do a thing? And isn't that a great picture of what, of what stress does to us? Isn't that a great picture that it just, we want to do something, just we're, we're sometimes we're so overcome with the stress we don't even know what to do or we don't even know the first step or we're so overwhelmed emotionally that we don't even have the emotional energy to do the, the step. And he's saying, you know, when we just remember he's God, it's like we just slacken. We just slacken and we go, okay. And just the the weight, the pressure, that stress is taken off of us as we remember that. And obviously all these things are easier said than done. But as we intentionally try to do that, it makes a difference. Here's some very practical ways to take, to, uh, to, to relieve some stress in our life. One is get out and stay out of debt. Um, there's some huge, you know, think about the stress that this causes to a human being. When you're under, uh, when you're under, under debt, it has a huge way of doing that. Uh, counselors tell us that this is one of the biggest problems in marriages. One of the biggest strains on marriages is financial debt. And we do want you to know that there's something that we're, that we're uh, bringing, uh, bringing up on, on February the 19th, Financial Peace University. This has been life-changing for many people to, to, to live a, a lifestyle that God has. And one of that is to, to get out of debt and people that have been in debt. This is a great plan to, to get out of debt, to stay out of debt, but also just financial things. So if you, ha- if you haven't uh, signed up for that, it starts on February the 19th. Another thing is, uh, is exercise. This is, again, thing for a big one for me, that, that it's a big stress reliever to just get out and do something uh, physically. And uh, the Mayo Clinic had a study on it called Get Moving to Manage Stress. And this is what they said. I thought this was worth reading a, a, a little article for. Uh, exercise in almost every form can act as a stress reliever. Being active can boost your feeling, good feeling endorphins and distract you from daily worries. You know that exercise does your body good, but you're too busy and stressed to fit it into your routine. Hold on a second. There's good news when it comes to exercise and stress. Virtually any form of exercise from aerobics to yoga can act as a stress reliever. If you're not an athlete or even you're, uh, you're out of shape, you can still make a little exercise go a long way towards stress management. Exercise increases your overall health and your sense of well-being, which puts more pep in every step every day. But exercise also does some, stre- some direct stress-busting benefits. Number one, it pumps up your endorphins. Physical activity helps bump up the production of your brain's feel-good uh, something called uh, called endorphins although this function is often referred to as a runner's high a rousing game of tennis or a nature hike can also contribute to that same feeling it's meditate it's meditation in motion after a fast-paced game of racquetball or several laps in the pool you'll often find that you've got forgotten the day's irritation and concentrated only on your body's movements as you begin to regularly shed your daily tensions through movement and physical activity you may find that this focus on on a single task as the resulting energy and optimism can help you remain calm and clear in everything else you do. 
It improves your mood. Regular exercise can increase self-confidence. It can relax you. It can lower the symptoms associated with mild depression and anxiety. Exercise can also improve your sleep, which is often disrupted by stress, depression, and anxiety. All of these be- exercise benefits can ease your stress levels and give you a sense of command over your body and over your life. Another thing is don't forget to, to laugh. Benjamin Franklin said this, there's a time to wink and a time, as well as a time to see. Solomon puts it like this. He said, a cheerful heart is good like a medicine. Uh, science backs that up too. And a study in Loma Linda University talked about uh, laughter and it said laughter lowers serum cortisol levels, increases the amount of uh, activated T lymphocytes, increases the number of the activity of natural killer cells, increases the number of T cells that have uh, that have helper suppressor receptors. And they go, huh? In other words, it helps relieve stress. Uh, And here's a couple more. One is this. Take life one day at a time. George MacDonald put it like this. He said, nobody ever sank under the burdens of one day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight becomes more than a person can, uh, can, can stand. And all he's doing is paraphrasing what Jesus said in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where he said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? And here's something that um, God, God will give us. Here's some great news. God gives us exactly the, the resources, the grace, the courage, the strength, the hope, the help that we need every day if we ask for it and receive it. Every one of the, everything we ever need in a day, he's willing to, to give us if we ask for it and, re, and receive it. But he doesn't give us today's, he doesn't give us tomorrow's grace today. It's like manna. Did you ever notice that he gave the manna? He didn't give them a week's worth of manna at one time. Every day he gave them exactly the food that they needed for that day. God gives us the grace and the resources and everything we need, the daily bread that we need for that, for that day. So if we try to, to, uh, to reach out with tomorrow's stresses, tomorrow's worries, tomorrow's anxiety, with today's grace, we're not going to be able to do it. But if we just concentrate on today's th- pressures, today's stresses today, and, and, and look at those uh, and not worry as much about tomorrow, doesn't mean we don't plan for tomorrow, doesn't mean we don't look at tomorrow, but the thing is our focus is on today and that's where we give our energies, then we'll find we have just enough that we need for that, uh, for that day. And another thing is we're Jesus' yoke, not the world's. We've said this, this has been the verse for this. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you, hear this word, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For I am gentle and humble in heart and uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. A yoke is something they put on an animal for they, they were able to plow and, and it was uh, just the, the weight that they were to, to carry. And Jesus said there's two different yokes we can have in this world. We can have his or we can have anybody else's including our, our own. And he said one is gonna be uh, heavy one is going to be light. One is going to lead to, to, to overwork and one is going to, be, to lead to, to joy. If we are carrying a weight that is too heavy for us, we are not carrying Jesus' weight for us. 
And the final thing, this is something we said, I said last week, is this, that we are um, to be led and not driven. And I think I've told this story before, but um, my mentor, Bob Tuttle, one time was in Israel. And the guide there that was saying this, he said, you'll notice something. She said, you'll always notice that the shepherds will always lead the sheep. They will never drive the sheep. They will never be driving the sheep. They will always be leading the sheep. And so he's looking out the window one time and he's seeing somebody with a stick and just bashing the sheep from behind and, and forcing to go in a certain direction. And he's looking he, and he calls her over and he said, wait a second, I thought you said that the, the, the shepherd never, never drove the sheep. Here's one carrying the, driving the sheep right there. And she looked out with a confused look on her face and said, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. And I think a real story in our life, if we are being driven, it's not of God. God leads us. God leads us to still waters. God leads us beside quiet waters. If we are being driven in this world, there's something we said last week, it is probably some, some, some inner thing that we're, that we're dealing with. It's some, some pressures that are put on the outside, but it's not God. And I want to close with just something really sweet. And this is from a great book. Uh, I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but it's called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. How about that for a good title? And it said this, Tim Hansel said, if I had my life to live over again, I'd try to make more mistakes next time. I would relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I've been this trip. I know of uh, very few things I would take seriously. I would take more trips. I would be crazier. I would climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I would do more walking and looking. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. <laughs> I would have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live life pro- prophylactically <laughs> and sensibly hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I try to have nothing else, just moments, one after the other. Instead of living so many years ahead each day, I've been one of those people who never go anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, aspirin, and a parachute. If I had to do it all over again, I would go places, do things, and travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over again, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I wouldn't make such good grades, except by accident. I would ride on more merry-go-rounds, and I would pick more daisies. If we can pray. Maybe you just want to take that bulletin insert out right now and just maybe take a look at a couple of the verses. And let it soak into you. Some words that God says about stress. He says to cast all our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. And again, he says, my best requires rest. Worry never works. God's God and we're not. And he can't relieve it if we can't release it. So God, help us to... Help us to do the things that you've said in your word, to take a Sabbath and to, to make it holy. And God, remember, God, uh, we pray that you encourage us spiritually, physically, emotionally as we take that Sabbath rest. God, help us to do the things. Help us not be driven in this world. Help us be led by you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.